Well, good morning via Comox. Uh, what a joy it is to be able to speak to you this morning. Uh, my name is Josh Erb, and some of you I have had the privilege of meeting, others of you I have not, and I look forward to meeting you in person. Um, I want to just share a little bit about me and my family uh, for those of you who don't know us. Uh, so I am married to my beautiful wife, Kiri, and we have three kids, Caleb, Lydia, and Zoe. Caleb is nine, Lydia is seven, Zoe is five. Um, we are an outdoor family. We love hiking. Uh, Kiri and I love running together. That's kind of our favorite activity to do together. Um, I'm like Brett, I love anything to do with the outdoors, mountain biking, climbing, um, kayaking, all those things, love it. Um, and over the past 10 years, we've been leading an organization called Soul Edge Ministries, which is a Christian leadership uh, training program. And this actually was birthed uh, 15 years ago. Uh, I, was one of, I was the founder with my twin brother, Joel, after spending a year training over in the UK with Mike Pilavachi of Soul Survivor. Now, some of you may not have ever heard of Mike Pilavachi or Soul Survivor, but you've probably heard of Tim Hughes and Matt Redmond. So both of those worship leaders came out of the ministry, uh, Soul Survivor, and actually were in Mike's youth group. Uh, so out of our year of training with Mike, ended up launching Soul Edge, uh, which is a focusing on, it's a five month Christian leadership program and specifically focusing on leadership development. And uh, so sort of kind of a connection for you, the, the sort of via connection, I actually met Todd Atkinson when I was 18 over in the UK at Soul Survivor. Uh, so you, most of you know him as Bishop Todd. And so met Todd over there and, and just remember thinking, wow, this is an amazing man and I hope our, our paths cross again. And three years later, he was actually taking over uh, the church that is now via Lethbridge as the main uh, pastor and found out about it and ended up uh, taking our teams there uh, to receive uh, teaching from them. And so the relationship with Via and Todd and everyone goes back a long, long ways. And then sort of our connection to Via Comox goes back to over seven years ago when Chad, Chad and Jenna planted the church. Uh, so Kiri and I were taking a a three months sabbatical. We were at a, a time of discerning what was next for us. And so we found out that Chad was planting on the island and we said, hey, we're, we want to take sabbatical, but we'd also love just to be connected to community. And if there's any way that we can just serve and, and pray and be a part of that, the church plant, we'd love to do that. And, and so that's what we did. And it was a great joy. And just the, uh, my love for the church and what Jesus was doing in the valley really, I think, was birthed there. And always had this sense that um, it wasn't, our time on the island wasn't finished, that there was something that Jesus was gonna bring, bring us back to that. Um, but during that discernment time on the island, we really felt Jesus invite us to, to go back to Herbert and uh, to take the lead pastoral role of Crossroads Church which was an opportunity that was before us and we felt it was a season to invest and build into Crossroads. And so we have led Crossroads as the senior leaders for seven and a half years. And um, now actually just finishing off a whole year, transitioning uh, the church and handing it over to our uh, associate pastor. Um, so 
that's been a, been a real journey. So that kind of all started two years ago where we felt this grace lift um, and sense that something was shifting in us. So we knew that Herbert was not gonna be a forever season, but really felt two years ago that was shifting in us. And then last summer actually kind of kick-started um, us into an intensive discernment season again. And actually, we did the hike with Brent last summer, and that was a really key moment. Being there just gave us space to start really discerning and asking questions again. Um, and that led us to, to getting to clarity that it really was a transition year for us and that we felt Jesus was inviting us to move back to the island and to, to relocate Solange there. So in August, we will be moving as a family out to the island and we're really excited to be with you via Comox and be with you in person and uh, providing the borders open, Soul Edge 2020 will be on the island, which we're really excited about. And um, so there is certainly a, a time of great excitement as we, we move, but also a sadness of leaving uh, behind dear friends and community that we love. Um, but we really sense that the Lord is going ahead of us and we are so excited for what he has for us and what he has for via Comox. Um, so uh, just know that we are, we can't wait to be with you all and excited for all that, all that the future holds. So that is a little bit about us in short. Um, it's hard to summarize uh, a 10 year journey uh, into just a few minutes, but hopefully that gives you a bit of a snapshot. So I'm gonna jump into our passage today. Uh, I wanna continue on working through the Gospel of Luke um, and gonna continue on with the passage right after uh, what Brett had, uh, had spoken about last week. And so before we do that, I just wanna quickly jump back, do a bit of a recap in thinking about this, this moment of Jesus healing the man with the crippled hand. And actually to see that this is, this is a moment of confrontation and Mark actually records this moment as well where Jesus has a confrontation with the religious leaders, right? It's kind of like the showdown where there's a man with a crippled hand and it's kind of like the setup. What is Jesus gonna do? Is he gonna heal this man on the Sabbath? What is he gonna do? And he gets up and very deliberate, calls man up front and says, stretch out your hand, and the man is healed. And I want you to think about, this is kind of the theme what we're going to be moving on, is the theme of how does the kingdom of God come? And when we look at what the writers of, these, of the Gospels of Mark and Luke the words that they reach for and themes that come up again and again, I think is really important that we kind of highlight that in our mind because that's something that we need to wrestle with. How does the kingdom of God come? How does it move? And there's this phrase that we, we've translated into English, it's good news. Uh, so they'll say, they, and he, you know, John the Baptist came proclaiming good news about the coming of the kingdom. Uh, Jesus came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And so what, what is that word? The word actually is eongelion. 
and, and we've translated it as good news, but uh, sort of a, what it kind of means is actually that it means that, that your rightful king has come and he comes to break the siege. And it's almost more of a word picture. It's this idea of a city or a town under siege by an occupying army and then the rightful king coming to liberate that city. And so the kingdom coming, this good news is about liberty coming, the rightful king coming to set the captives free, which is a direct parallel to Isaiah 61, which Jesus quotes at the start of his ministry, right? And so this confrontation moment, back to our Luke passage, is where Jesus is setting this crippled man free. He's confronting the powers, the religious leaders. And we see that him do this again and again, where he goes into, he goes into places and he's confronting powers. He's bringing liberty. So the kingdom coming, I want you to think about that. How does the kingdom come? So here's a question that I want us to wrestle with today as we move into this next section. What is the way in which his kingdom comes? What is the way in which his kingdom comes? So in Luke 6, uh, 12 to 23, we have Jesus leaving this synagogue moment and going up onto the mountain to pray. It says this, reading from the the Passion Translation. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus went into the high hills to spend the whole night in prayer to God. At daybreak, he called together all of his followers and selected 12 from among them, and he appointed them to be his apostles. And then it goes on to list the names of the apostles. So just a a couple things to draw out from that. Jesus went on a mountainside to pray. This is significant. He spends a whole night in prayer. So at this pivotal moment when he's choosing 12 who are going to be the ones who safeguard his teaching and disciples and discipling others, we see this this demonstration of a posture of reliance on the Father, an absolute uh, reliance on his heavenly Father. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus numerous times saying, I only do what I see the Father doing, and this instance is no different. He withdraws to the secret a quiet, solitude place to pray and to seek the will of his Father as to who will be the apostles. So what is, what is the significance of this for us? Is that Jesus is demonstrating to us what it looks like to walk out our humanity in health. And it looks like dependency on the Holy Spirit. So let's continue with the passage. In verse 17, it says, Jesus and his apostles came down from the hillside to a level field where a large number of his disciples waited along with a massive crowd, people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal district. All right, so there is this massive crowd waiting uh, for Jesus. And he's coming down with his 12 after They've just been chosen. And I think this is significant, right? Like this moment that they've just been appointed. I, we don't know this for sure, but I, I think, at least I like to think that it was kind of like this hurrah moment for the, the apostles. It's like, I'm in, I'm in the 12. I'm one of the 12, right? 
And so Jesus had a lot of followers. He had a large group of disciples, but he's, he's chosen 12 who are going to walk closely with him. And so he comes down onto this plateau and this next section, uh, which was just read, um, is this direct parallel to the Sermon on the Mount. And now some scholars believe it is actually the Sermon on the Mount and just Luke's recording of it. Regardless, it, it's this important address that Jesus is giving and it's actually an address given to his disciples. So there's crowds there, but his teaching is directed towards his disciples. And I think when we hold this in our mind that this um, kingdom announcements that he gives come right after he has chosen the 12. You know, I think of the 12 coming down and, and they're elated, I think. Uh, but they're in, they've been chosen. The kind of feeling of being special. I, I think I, we all have probably had moments like this. I remember for me, uh, a moment that stands out in my mind as sort of this, this, the feeling of I'm special and chosen was actually my internship year with Mike as an 18 year old going over to these massive Christian festivals. There's over 10,000 people there for a week and, and be, being given this all access pass. It's like, you know, Mike's intern. And it meant that I could go wherever I wanted backstage, hang out with the speakers. And so I was special. I was Mike's intern um, and felt that kind of um, specialness, I guess. And that felt great. And then a week later, this is contrasted by me being, Joel and I, my twin brother being asked to do one of the lowest of low jobs, just like picking up garbage and trash left by campers um, and throwing it into a garbage truck in the pouring rain. And I, I thought it was, you know, Jesus did a bit of a work in me, uh, you know, showing me the nature of identity in the kingdom and serving through as I looked at this kind of, these two weeks and how they were contrasted. Um, but I think we can all relate to these moments, right? Where we feel maybe special or, or chosen. And I think the disciples kind of have this moment and then Jesus, addresses them. And I think it's really intentional that he launches into, I'm going to call them kingdom announcements. Okay. And so let's just read this. This is from the Passion Translation, starting at verse 20. Looking intently at his followers, Jesus began his sermon, saying, how enriched you become when you are a beggar. For you will experience the reality of God's kingdom. How filled you become when you are consumed with the hunger and desire for you will be completely satisfied. In other translations, it's hunger and thirst for righteousness. How content you become when you weep with complete brokenness, for you will laugh with unrestrained joy. How favored you become when you are hated, excommunicated, or slandered, or when your name is spoken 
of as evil because of your love for me, the Son of Man. I promise you that as you experience these things, you will celebrate and dance with overflowing joy. And the heavenly reward of your faith will be abundant because you are being treated the same way as your forefathers, the prophets. So think about this for a moment. We'll, we'll unpack this more, but Jesus is saying, this is the way that the kingdom comes to you. This is the way the kingdom comes to you. So let's go back to our question. Our question was that, wasn't it? It's what is the way in which his kingdom comes? And I think this relates to this desire within us, right? We desire to be a part of seeing his kingdom come. At, and as we unpack this passage today, I, I, I believe there's insight that will help us answer this question. So when Jesus is teaching his disciples, right, he's, it's not just about giving them information here. He's, he's not just thinking, I want you to just have these little sayings that you carry around. He's actually going after the way that they think. He's going after their worldview. And his message actually isn't designed to be super easy to understand. Um, it's a message you could, um, it requires actually the listener to engage and to think, doesn't it? These statements. It requires you to wrestle. And, and he doesn't actually leave any room for the listener uh, to, to kind of be placid. It, he's making very clear that it, this is the way of the kingdom. Jesus has these really awesome phrases. Throughout his teachings, he uses this. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Okay, so it's kind of this fun little saying. Um, and, and effectively, before he's about to launch into something really important, he'll pull out this saying. He'll, he'll say, he who has ears, let him hear. He'll launch into it. And then when he's finished, he might repeat that saying again. So in other words, He'll say, he, he means this, you will hear what I'm saying when you let it confront what you believe, not simply reaffirm what you know. I'll just say that again. What Jesus is saying is that you will hear what I'm saying when you let it confront what you believe and not simply reaffirm what you know. So when we hear these kingdom announcements from Jesus, it can't just simply be about a re reaffirmation. We have to say, how does this confront what I already think. And, and I honestly believe that it was confronting for them. Um, you know, as a dad, uh, all parents can relate to this, having young kids, um, this is a common moment in our household. We'll say something like, kids, we're leaving, go get your shoes on. And they don't move. Has anyone else experienced that? And there actually isn't a problem with their ears or their brains. They heard the information. The problem is that they heard it through their lens um, and their thinking. 
So what they maybe, I don't know exactly how they interpret it, but I think they interpret it as something like, we are going soon, my dad wants me to get my shoes on, I will just finish this and then I'll get to that. Uh, when I, that's not what I meant at all. Uh, the, the go get your shoes on was, right from my perspective was, go do this right away. And so we, we don't have a problem with hearing, but we have a problem with how does this information confront how you think, and this is what Jesus means. So this first kingdom announcement, let's go back to this first kingdom announcement. For the Sermon on the Mount, if we summarize it down, it is effectively this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. From the Passion Translation is, how enriched you become when you are a beggar. For you will experience the reality of the kingdom of God. So this is actually an announcement for who the kingdom of God is coming to. Those who will benefit from the kingdom. And I think naturally we, we think that those who are really good at being spiritual will benefit from the kingdom coming. But that is not what Jesus is saying. He says, blessed are the poor. All right? Jesus is, is telling us this amazing news that the kingdom is actually for those who can acknowledge and recognize their poverty. So Jesus is actually announcing a radical reordering of assumed values. Statements like the last will be first, the first will be last, are making clear that the assumed values that the listener has for how things work are being confronted by the kingdom. And it's no different for the apostles or for us as we listen to this. So Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That those who can acknowledge their poverty could receive the coming of the kingdom. And the second is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Jesus is speaking to the hunger and thirst of the soul. But I love that he uses, uses this picture of thirst and hunger because we can automatically connect with it, right? Automatically. Uh, I know some of you had the privilege of going to Turkana a few years ago, which is the extreme kind of western part of Kenya, um, and it's really remote, so Via took a group, and I think a few of you went as well. Anyway, I through the years, I had the privilege of taking a number of Solage teams to minister in the Turkana region. And one of the, the things that you right away are confronted with is just the fact that you don't get any cold drinks of water. And this, this one time in particular stands out in my memory because we were going to such a remote village, we actually hauled the water that we would need with us. So we have these, I don't know, 200 liter um, 
jugs, black jugs that we filled with water and they, um, they just heated up. So when you needed to go to the drink, fill up your analogy, you would dunk it into this water and it was basically like drinking warm, almost hot bath water that had this kind of terrible aftertaste as well. And so you're thirsty and you're parched and you just want to quench your thirst and you can't. And we've all, all obviously you guys have had a really hot week. And so this, this moment of Jesus sharing this idea of thirst and hunger, he says, blessed are you if you hunger and thirst. He's making a connection to the thirst and hunger for God as foundational for the way in which the kingdom comes. That it is the place of not yet being satisfied. That this is actually a necessary place for us. So that we can get to the place of honesty. I, there's something about desperation, of being able to acknowledge our thirst for God, our thirst for life-giving water that's only found in Him. And so this kingdom announcement is that blessed are those who actually hunger and thirst. So if you're hungry and thirsting for more of God, the promise is that you will be satisfied. And finally, we're coming into land. Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted, when you're disliked, slandered. And he makes a promise to his disciples. He says, you will know joy and heavenly reward will be abundant. And what this means for us and all those that listen to the words of Jesus is this clear connection, right? That there is a cost to following Jesus, right? So the disciples are coming down, the apostles from this mountain, we're the 12. And they still have in their minds maybe a picture of how they think the kingdom of God will come, right? Jesus riding into Jerusalem, overthrowing the Romans, and that's not how it happens. And so Jesus is announcing to them, actually, this is the way the kingdom will come. And, and that there is a cost, but there is also reward. So he says, there is reward when you're persecuted. Jesus is making very clear that to follow him means that the struggle, that there is struggle and challenge for those who follow the way of the kingdom. This isn't easy. Why is that? Well, because the world operates in a very different way than the way of the kingdom. So there is cost, but there is also reward. And I love that Jesus says, there is joy abundant. There's joy abundant. Thinking this, this passage specifically when Jesus talks about persecution reminds me of Ignatius, one of the church fathers. And he writes a number of letters on his way to his death in Rome, his martyrdom. And they're not mournful letters. He's actually using this moment to bring about unity for the church. He's fighting for unity for the church. And and there's even these tones of, of joy within the letters. And, and so even in hardship, there's this promise of grace. And, and we've seen that those who have gone before us in walking this out well, 
do walk out this with incredible grace. So as, as we come into just final thoughts, let's circle back to that question. What is the way in which the kingdom of God comes? Jesus makes clear in these statements that the kingdom is for those who can acknowledge their need of him. And so many times in my life, that really is, that's the heart of it, is me just being able to say, Jesus, I need you now. Oh, I am poor. It is the acknowledging of my need of him. That is, that is how his kingdom comes in my life. The second is that the kingdom is satisfying for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so part of this is the announcement, the promise to me that in the moments of hungering and thirsting for more of him, there is a promise that I will know satisfaction. That there is satisfaction for those who hunger and thirst. So the great news of the kingdom is this, that his kingdom is for those who feel like they are not good at being spiritual. Um, for those who feel like, I'm poor. I don't have it all together. Jesus is saying, this is good news. This is who my kingdom is coming to. I come to liberate. I come to set free. The good news again, your rightful king is coming to liberate, to set you free. So the kingdom coming looks like liberation for the oppressed and the downtrodden. So as we wrap up, I just want to give you some just really practical steps. So the first is that Jesus demonstrates for us what living out his humanity in health looks like, right? When we think about him going up onto the mountain to pray, he withdraws. He invests in the place of prayer of listening, of being with his Heavenly Father. And so I want to encourage you that whatever season you're going through, to, to continue to follow his example, to take time to withdraw, to go to that secret place. The second kind of practical step is to simply ask yourself, like, what, uh, or rather, where do I need to acknowledge my poverty? Where do I need to acknowledge my poverty? And this is the very place that his kingdom comes. And finally, number three, hunger and thirst are good things. Hunger and thirst are good things. What we should be terrified of, rather, is if we do not hunger, if we do not thirst for God, that is a place we should fear. But to hunger and thirst for him is actually the very cusp of the coming of his kingdom. So the question out of that is, what is the Lord wanting to do in you during the times of hunger and thirst? What is he wanting to do? So, so let me just pray for you. Um, Jesus, I thank you for Via Comox. I thank you for each one here this morning. I thank you for everyone who's watching. Jesus, I ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, rest upon them that they would experience your grace, your comfort. That there would be an infilling of your spirit. And Jesus, would you help us as we choose to follow you to let these kingdom announcements confront us, to confront the deep 
places within us. Jesus, we want our lives to be ordered around you and to be ordered around the way of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.